Lord, we thank you for time of worship and, and stirring our hearts to hear what you have to say to us individually, specifically. God, and I pray that you would speak to every one of us, Lord, that we would uh, walk out of here knowing that we heard from you, um, regardless of whether or not it's my voice, Lord, we, we know that this is your word, uh, Lord, and it's ultimately uh, your voice um, uh, communicating uh, your word, uh, God. So I just pray that you would bless this time, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would be in tune uh, to what your spirit has to say to, to each of us. So bless this time in your name. Amen. All right. Do you know what God has called you to specifically? Now, when I say calling, I'm talking about positionally. Yeah, we know there's certain things that God's called us all to generally, and we'll get into some of those things. But do you know what God's called you to specifically? That could be different roles. It could be uh, a husband. It could be a wife. It could be a father. It could be a son. It could be a daughter. It could be uh, different forms of uh, of family members. It, it could be your job. It could be your uh, career. It could be even hobbies. Uh, but more specifically, uh, what has God called you to spiritually? Uh, meaning, where do you fit in in this body of Christ? What gifts has he given you? How has he equipped you to edify the body and glorify himself? Now, some are like, I know what my calling is. And others, they may not be so sure at this point in their walk. But many, at some time, in some form, have received some type of confirmation as to what their calling is specifically amongst the body of Christ. And God, I believe, is purpose to make that clear with each of us. Yes, God speaks in various ways at various times, but I believe for the believer that he desires each and every one of his children to know what their individual calling is. He desires that so that they can walk in it. So if you don't know now, I believe he'll tell you eventually because God is a God that speaks. He's a God that confirms and he's certainly a God that confirms calling. See, we're going to see in this text, God call a certain man, a certain man by the name of Saul. Okay, title of the teaching when God calls a man, when God calls a man, we've already been introduced to this man. If you remember the last two chapters in chapter eight, uh, the people of Israel, they were discontent with their king being the Lord. Now we know there were some corrupt judges there and Samuel's sons, but ultimately the Lord said, you rejected me as your leader. So they petitioned to Samuel to ask God that they might have a, a king. That's, that's a man that they can see, that they can touch, that they think they can trust. Then we see in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we're introduced to Saul and, and we see kind of the character quality uh, of this man. And it's developing, developing through the chapters. We'll look at some of that in chapter 10. But we talked about this in 1 Samuel chapter 9, the people's king. This was the king that the people wanted, right? And so God's going to deliver to them, though he chose him, the king that they ultimately chose, the king that they would have picked had they had the opportunity. He's giving them over to the desires of their heart. Now, 
the end of 1 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to see the actual act of Saul being anointed as the king of Israel. If you remember, we finished in verse 26, because I wanted to leave 27 for this week. I believe it flows into the next chapter better. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 27. As they were going down to the outskirts, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while, and I may announce to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Okay, so we see that Samuel actually physically anointed Saul. And this is what we see throughout the Old Testament uh, when the Bible refers to anointing. Now, this is a cultural thing. It's obviously a biblical thing. But what would happen back in that era uh, was that kings would be anointed with animal fat, okay, specifically oxen or bulls. And they would be anointed with this animal fat because the people actually believed believed that if they were anointed with this bull fat or this oxen fat, then that king would take on that strength of that oxen of that bull, okay, and the pagan idolatry type of thing. But we see the Lord had his own anointing and had his people establish this anointing. When it came to leaders, they would pour olive oil on them and the olive oil was mixed with spices okay you know how we said that these kings would assume the people would assume that they would have the power from these animals the olive oil it's a representation of the holy spirit throughout the scriptures and essentially what's being said here is that Saul is receiving the spirit of god the spirit of god is going to come upon him Okay, it was a physical demonstration of a spiritual consecration. Okay, but we see something physical that the Lord does has Samuel do to represent something spiritual that's actually going to happen in this text. Now, when we see anointing in the Old Testament, that's often what it's referred to. We do see the anointing of the spirit in the Old Testament. But when we look at the New Testament, that's primarily what the Bible is talking about when when it says anointed. And if you would with me in first John chapter two we see that each and every believer is supposed to be, is called to be anointed by God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 says this, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. This is John speaking to the church. This was an expectation that the church had an anointing from the Lord God, literally from the Holy Spirit. In fact, we see in Acts chapter 19, Paul comes across the church's Ephesus and he notices something is missing. He notices something is lacking. If you look at Acts chapter 19, read a few of the verses, verse 2. So he's in Ephesus. I gave you that. He said to them, this is the church in Ephesus. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, 
Into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. We see... uh, Paul comes on the scene in Ephesus and there's something missing. There's something lacking. What's lacking? The power. Wait a minute. They have the testimony, but, but where's the power? The, the spirit's missing here. Have you guys received the spirit? They're like, we don't even know what you're talking about. So Paul makes sure as a minister that they receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because without the Holy Spirit, they can't live out the Christian faith. I think the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that gets neglected the most, right? We'll talk about the Father, Heavenly Father. We'll, we'll talk about the Son, but the Holy Spirit, sometimes he, he, he goes missing in the church. And we're, wait, wait, what's wrong with this church? The Holy Spirit. I believe we have the Holy Spirit here. Absolutely. But it's not just about us and certain people having the Holy Spirit. We're all called to have the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about the different operations of the Spirit when we uh, get deeper into 1 Samuel chapter 10. But if somebody looked at your life, would they say what Paul said? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Like, you talk about Jesus, but is the Holy Spirit in your life? Again, the Holy Spirit gives us the power, amongst other things, to live the Christian life. Without the Holy Spirit, we have no hope of living this life. It's so crucial. Without the Spirit, there's no way we can answer the calling that God's placed on our life. So if you're like, I don't know about the Holy Spirit, or I haven't received the Spirit, it's as simple as asking. In Luke chapter 11 Jesus says just that, hey, you got a good father that wants to give you good things, okay? And the greatest thing that he can ever give you is his divine nature, his Holy Spirit. I'm paraphrasing, that's not exactly what it says, but that's the heart and what he's trying to get across. Pray for the Spirit, ask your father, and he will give it. Now, we see in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, be being filled. That's the original Greek. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Continue to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't just ask one time ask constantly when you're like oh is the power missing it am i not living the way that i'm supposed to be living am i not answering the call that god's placed on my life Uh, i need i need the spirit to get back on the right track so this anointing that was placed upon saul yes it represented a spiritual thing but it also represented a, a positional thing If you look back at 1 Samuel chapter 10, he says, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Now, look at how Samuel wisely uses those words. He's anointed you as commander over his inheritance. This ain't your inheritance, Saul. These people are his people. He's putting you in the leadership position, but you're a steward over God's people. His inheritance. That's why Samuel is saying that again. This is the the act, the anointing that's putting Saul in the position as king. Okay. Now, if you look uh, real quick at verse 2. In the Septuagint, when he says this, mixed in there, uh, in verse 1, then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, is it not 
because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance, he says, and here is a sign for you. Okay, that's important when we get into what's going to happen next. In the Septuagint, it says, and here is a sign for you because he's going to talk about a few signs that are going to come up to confirm this calling. Let's look at one of those in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 2. When you have departed from me today, you will find two men of Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin and Zelzah, and they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you saying, what shall I do about my son? So we see right off the bat, God spoke prophetically through Samuel to confirm Saul's calling. Okay, I know you got questions, Saul, but there's going to be these series of events and we'll look at them that happens after this that I'm going to tell you about ahead of time so that you're sure, so that you're confident, so that you know that you know that you know. I, the Lord God, have anointed you as king of Israel. Point number one, God confirms our calling. God confirms our calling. So this call, it's so specific. You're going to go to Rachel's tomb. He says exactly where it is. It's going to be two men. He tells them exactly what these guys are going to say. Obviously, if this happens, <laughs> even this one thing that happens, this first story that he talks about, obviously Samuel is a legit prophet, and obviously this whole thing was ordained by God. But I wonder, the question raises to, to my mind anyways, why Paul needed this, or sorry, why Saul needed this, this extra confirmation? I believe in looking at the rest of this chapter, specifically in some of the next chapter, I believe that Saul was doubting his calling. So he needed that encouragement. He, he needed that confirmation to build confidence in him so he would stand up to his calling. We're going to see he hides from his calling later. But he needs this confirmation to give him that little boost, that give him that little effort, that energy, that realization that, no, 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 this is directly from the Lord. See, confirmation does do that. Confirmation, it builds confidence in us to answer God's calling on our lives. But how much confirmation do we need? How much do we need before we'll actually answer the call? And I'll say personally, there's times in my life where I question it. I've been doing ministry for six years straight, but I'll still question, God, is this really for me? Is this really what you want for me? I did this like a year and a half ago. Don't make fun of me. Uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, it, I remember I was, it was my devotion time and I was praying. It was just after another Patmos term and I'm going, God, uh, what do you really call me to? Is this, is this what you're calling? I'm happy. I'm good where I'm at, but I just want to know for sure. Um, and I prayed two things that morning. I said, God, God, I want to know my calling for, for sure. And I, and I want to know which Bible book you would like me to study next. Literally, these are my two prayers. It's documented. It's in my journal. So I asked this and, and literally I, I opened right up to Jeremiah chapter one and Jeremiah chapter one, uh, uh, God is talking to Jeremiah about his calling. He says, despite your youth, this is what you've, I called you to. I'm going to put words in your mouth and you're going to speak them. That's your calling. I'm going, you know, the little chill thing. And I'm like, all right, fine. You know, yeah, I'm good with that. But I, I just wanted to make sure. And literally 15 minutes later, Andy Dean, the director of the Bible college, he calls me and he says, hey, uh, you want to teach Job this term at the Bible college? I'm going, 
Okay, well, those were two, the two prayers I just prayed 20. Andy, you got like, you know what I'm doing over here? You got a video camera in my house? How do you know that this is happening? I'm like, bro, uh, I think I'm supposed to. I was just asking God about my calling and what book to study. And, and he gave me this and you called and, and so I did it. The point is sometimes we need that little boost. Sometimes we need that little encouragement. Because we're weak and, and we fall into this place uh, when we doubt our calling. Even if we've done something spectacular in the name of the Lord. The Lord's done something magnificent through us. Right afterwards, we can fall into a place that we doubt our calling. We see it with Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah You have to remember, I'll give you some context. He just slayed the prophets of Baal. And now Jezebel threatens him and look at what Elijah did. This is after, after he slayed the prophets of Baal and proved him wrong, proved he was a prophet. He's done mighty miracles and work so far. First Kings chapter 19, verse four, it says, but he himself, this is right after Jezebel threatens him, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Bro, you just did a magnificent work for the Lord. And now you want to die. I'm no better than my father's. Look what happens next verse. Verse 5. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back. The angel of the Lord usually refers to Christ in the Old Testament. And you probably see a little asterisk or something by that angel. We can't be for certain in this text. There's not enough. But this possibly could be Jesus Christ that came to Elijah. Came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. See, sometimes when we get a little discouraged in our calling. And we question it and we doubt it. Sometimes we just need a little Touch from the Lord, a little encouragement, a little boost. Come on, man, Uh, eat up, get on your way. And then right afterwards, we see in the next few verses, we we see God literally uh, uh, specifies his calling. He says, you're going to anoint this guy and you're going to anoint this guy. And this is your purpose. You better get back to work because we got a lot going on. But the Lord gave Elijah what he needed in that moment to continue on to answer his calling. Now, we can't say that and say, all right, fine, it's fine for me to doubt. No, doubting is still not a good thing. <laughs> when, when we doubt, when we fall into this place and we're begging for confirmation, even though God's already given us confirmation, it still points to a lack of trust. And I personally believe that that's where Saul is right now. If you remember, I mentioned this last week, but back in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 21 And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? We can look at that and say humility, but when we see what happens in this next chapter, it appears to be false humility. That that it was really him questioning what God could do through him. Now, doubting our calling and doubting God's ability are two different things. And there's a fine line there. It's okay to doubt our ability, but don't doubt God's ability to work through us. Because ultimately, when it comes to answering our calling, it's not about what we have to offer. It's all about what 
God has to offer. When Zerubbabel was called to build the temple, he laid the foundation, but the work wasn't complete. And in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, says this, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The only way you're going to be able to fulfill this calling is by my strength, not yours, by the power of my spirit, not what you bring to the table. We see there's a lack of trust in Saul, and we'll see that throughout his life um, because he has a lack of relationship with God. First Samuel chapter 10, verse 3. Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. He gives him a timeline. Then you're going to do this. He gives him a general timeline. Sometimes God gives us a general timeline uh, when, when he calls us to things. There are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. Like, this is crazy. After the first story, here we got the second story. It is not vague at all. This isn't, this isn't, uh, um, what the, the, the cook, the Chinese cookies, what are they called again? Fortune. Yeah. Fortune cookies. Like, it's not like this general vague thing. Like this is so specific, right? This is exactly what's going to happen. Verse four. And they will greet you fortune cookies. Sorry. I don't eat many of those. I guess I <laughs> forgot what they were called. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. Now we see this is the first gift that Saul's going to receive as the anointed king of Israel. It was common for people to give the king gifts, especially when he was first placed in that position. Now, usually it wasn't loaves of bread. Right, But this time it was a very interesting blessing that these guys gave to the king. Nevertheless, it was still a blessing. Point number two, God blesses our calling. God blesses our calling. When we're doing what God calls us to do, he, he blesses it. That doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. But he does. You see the blessing of God. You see the hand of God in your life when you're on the right track, when you're doing the right thing, when you're simply walking in obedience to to that calling. If you would with me in Deuteronomy chapter 28, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. It says, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And he goes and he lists all these blessings. If you're obedient, if you're doing what God's doing, he's going to bless you abundantly. This is not prosperity gospel. Okay, it could be materially, not always materially. I've experienced some of this blessing materially. Uh, shoot, in the beginning, I used to pay to be in ministry. I would literally pay for uh, different ministries, uh, internships, all these different things because I just love the Lord and I, I knew this is what I was supposed to do. And eventually God sw- switched it around and, and he started helping me out and taking care of me as I did ministry. And like above and beyond, like taking care of student loans and, and all these crazy things. But we know it's not just about a material blessing. It's about a spiritual blessing. 
It's about experiencing the, the love and, and joy and peace of God when we answer his calling. Uh, there's no greater, in my mind, there's no greater blessing than contentment as it, in regards to answering God's calling. When we're doing what God's called us to do, that joy is just in our heart. It might be hard. We might have seasons that are good, seasons that are bad, but he blesses us with that, with that joy. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 4 after he encountered the Samaritan woman. Disciples ask him about food and he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What's he saying? I find contentment in answering God's calling. I find a, a joy in just doing what the Lord's asking me to do. God blesses our calling. Verse Samuel chapter 10, verse 5. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp. Look at how specific this is. Before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So we see this group of prophets. Uh, they're likely, they're worshiping God, uh, and, and they're speaking words inspired by the Spirit. This doesn't necessarily mean that they're foretelling the future. Okay, this doesn't necessarily mean that they're, that group is just telling each other everything that's going on because God's telling them what's gonna happen. Uh, remember, prophecy, the gift of prophecy is both foretelling, yes, we see that gift, predicting events, but it's also forthtelling. That foretelling, it means to, to make public. Uh, to even pronounce something that's already happened or, or already been written in scripture. So we don't know if they're predicting that if we're, if they're foretelling or forthtelling. We're not sure. Bible doesn't tell us what they were saying. Nevertheless, he is going to encounter these prophets and it says in verse six, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. This was the real anointing. We had the physical with the oil, but this was what that was supposed to represent. The spirit coming upon him. And it says, as the spirit of the Lord comes upon him, you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. The spirit of God changes us into another man. It doesn't mean he looked different physically. Okay, but the spirit of the Lord, it, it does change us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen that if anyone is, is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we receive the Spirit of God, we literally become a different person. But, as many of us have faced and will face, we see the old person come back. And the old man, you've heard it said before, he likes to resurrect himself and bring himself back up in our life. But the truth of it is, we're a new man, we're a new woman, we're a new creation. So when we act like the old man, we're literally contradicting our identity in Christ. We aren't that person. You're literally not that person anymore. You're a new creation, created in the image of the perfect son being transformed into that image. We're not the old man anymore. We're a new man. We got to stop acting like the old man. First Samuel chapter 10, verse seven. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands 
for God is with you. He's like, okay, after you receive all this confirmation, okay, uh, when you receive all these signs, do as the occasion demands. Meaning, when you see these things happening, and you know that you know that you know that God has called you to this, answer the calling. Step into it. Walk into it. Do as the occasion demands. Answer the call that God has placed on your life. We're going to see him struggle with this. But do you struggle with this? Has God given you confirmation? Maybe it's not like this, but it's clear enough that you know, I know what my calling is. I know what my spiritual gifts are. I know my position amongst the body, but but I'm not stepping in it. I'm burying my talents in the ground, if you will. I'm burying the gifts. Think about that in God's perspective. Like God gave you a gift and you're not opening it. It's like he's given you a gift and, and, and you're not going to open it. The Lord's like, I want you to open it for your benefit, for my benefit, for the body of Christ's benefit as a whole. What a shame to receive a gift from God and, and never open it. This is one of the reasons Samuel is encouraging him. Hey, you're going to receive this confirmation so that you're confident, so that you open the gift. Or in other words, so that you step in this calling, that you, you answer this call, you step in this position. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So we see that Samuel said the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you, and he gives them direction afterwards, inspired by God. See, the power of the Spirit and the Word of God, they go hand in hand. We can't have one without the other. He needed the Spirit of God, but he also needed the Word of God, the direction from God. Without the power of God, we're not able to walk in the Word. And without the Word of God, we don't know where to walk. So he needs both. The power is given to him so that he can fulfill this direction, not just this, other things to come, uh, but that Samuel gives him. But we also see that Samuel's the one giving the orders. Samuel is the one telling Saul what to do. Though Saul is the king, Samuel still has spiritual authority over him in a sense. And we're going to see in the future, seems like Saul gets a little maybe prideful and he won't end up waiting for Samuel. Uh, we'll see that in a few chapters. Uh, this time he will. First Samuel chapter 10 verse 9. So it was... When he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart and all those signs came to pass that day. So it says God gave him another heart. Okay, there's different speculation about this, uh, but ultimately it appears that that God gave him a new heart in the sense that God equipped Saul to operate in the position that he's called him to. Uh, not necessarily a new spiritual heart. Not necessarily that he's a completely different man. Because we don't see uh, real evidence of change in Saul's life. Regardless, we know that the Lord, he does give the believer a new heart. He will, if we, Lord, come into my heart, change my life. He rules our heart, but he doesn't only rule it, he changes it. Now, heart in the Bible, uh, it's not 
like heart, what we think of necessarily, obviously, the physical, it meant a lot of different things. And we'll talk about this on Sunday uh, as well. But heart, it's this Hebrew word lab, okay? It's this Hebrew word lab, and basically it's the whole of the innermost part of a man. We're talking intellectually, uh, we're talking emotionally, we're talking spiritually, we're talking even physically, so this is like the innermost part of a human being. And this is the truth for us. When, when God changes our heart, when we become that new man or that new woman, all those things change in our life. Our thoughts change, our emotions change, our desires change, even action, actions change when we receive a new heart. We see that uh, scripturally and even in our lives. We're not going to see that in Saul's life other than the prophesying thing. It says all those signs will come to pass. Every single word that God said came to pass exactly the way God said it through the prophet Samuel. What does this tell us? We can be confident in God's word. But when he tells us something, he's going to do it. If we're confident in his word, then we can be confident in our calling. Because often he, he, he communicates to us our calling through his word. First Samuel chapter 10. Verse 10, when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. See, God didn't only uh, uh, anoint him uh, positionally. He didn't only give him direction, but he gave him the power to, to operate in this calling. He begins to prophesy. The point is, though, that God will give us the power to answer the calling. He will equip us uh, with all we need. And, and real briefly, I'm not going to get into this too much, but I think sometimes when, um, uh, especially if like you're new to the word and, and you see like how the spirit operates in the Old Testament, how it operates, how he operates in, in the New Testament, it can cause uh, confusion. Um, now, we see in the Old Testament uh, that the Holy Spirit would come upon people in power, right? And it would, uh, the spirit would typically give people uh, the ability to operate in spiritual gifts. Right? Samson would get real strong. We see Saul here prophesying. There's other ones uh, as well. We also see that in the New Testament, it's the Greek word epi, E-P-I, okay? It means to come upon, okay? Uh, in other words, to empower, okay? We see that operation of the Spirit in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We also see the para, that's the Greek word, para, P-A-R-A. Uh, that means with, the Holy Spirit is within the world. It's with the world. It convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Uh, the difference that we see in the New Testament is the Greek word en, E-N. And that's the indwelling spirit, okay? Uh, Jesus wasn't able to breathe the spirit into the disciples and, and give that to us as well until he died and rose again. That's that end. That's that indwelling. That's, that's the operation of the spirit that seals us for salvation. Okay. Seals us for salvation. That's Ephesians chapter one. Uh, if you have more questions about that, you can, we can talk about it, but we got to move on. First Samuel chapter 10, verse 11. And it happened. When all who knew him formally said that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, 
But who is their father? Therefore, it became a uh, a proverb, is Saul among the prophets? So these people who knew Saul formally see Saul prophesying. They're like, what? Saul? Why? Because he wasn't a spiritual dude. He wasn't someone that they looked like that, that, that was like, oh yeah, he's tight with God and he's, he's super spiritual and worships and prophesies and, and all these different things. So it kind of threw him off. But the truth for us is when the spirit of God enters our life, comes upon our life, it changes us and sometimes people don't recognize us. The Spirit of God, it, it, it changes uh, the last people you would think sometimes. And that's the case with Saul. He's, he's a little different externally, he was, uh, anyways. But if the Spirit of God can do so much change in our lives to the point that people may not even recognize us, can you attest that that happens in your own life? That the people that you knew before, and I know some good stories in here, so I know a lot of this is true for many of you. The people that you knew before, you may see them years later, and you have an encounter, and they're like, you're a different person. Who who are you? I don't even know how I can talk to you. Like, all of a sudden, I feel bad cursing and saying these things. And it's like, that's not you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point. The Spirit changed that person. You were the last person I would ever think that would be changed. But you changed. And that's what they're getting at with Saul at least externally, okay? He has the appearance of spirituality while he's prophesying. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 13. And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. So we see that Saul indeed prophesied, he did uh, have the gift of prophecy, uh, but he wasn't declared a prophet. Okay, so we see God, he gave him a a spiritual gift for this specific time period. And we're going to see it happens later. But the gift was for that time period. It wasn't his calling positionally, Uh, meaning that God can give us gifts for a moment. We see that in scripture. That's what he did with Saul. First Samuel chapter 10, verse 14. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? So he said, to look for the donkeys. When we saw that there were, they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me please what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. Now, we can look at this and a uh, question mark comes up. Is Saul being silent and, and secretive uh, for a good reason? Uh, is he using wisdom because it wasn't the time uh, to tell yet? I don't believe that to be true because what's going to happen in the rest of this text? I believe that in this moment, Saul's a little embarrassed. He, he doesn't want to fess up. Perhaps he was even ashamed. Point number three, don't be ashamed of your calling. Don't be ashamed of your calling. God clearly confirmed that this is what he was to do, that God was in this, that he was supposed to be king, but he's not going to admit it to his uncle. I get if there was a gathering and he doesn't want to tell me this is blood. This is family. There's something going on in Saul that he doesn't want to communicate what God has called him to. And we can fall into this as well. 
We can be ashamed of our calling in different seasons of our life. What do I mean? Uh, maybe God has got you in a job right now that's that's very undesirable. Like it's definitely not your passion. It's not something that you want to do. In fact, it's not even something that you really like talking to people about. It's like, man, I'm doing this thing because this is where God has me and this is the only opportunity I have. But but I'm embarrassed about it. I'm I'm ashamed about it. Don't be. It doesn't matter what position that we're in other than the position of sin. We have no need to be ashamed of the calling that God has on our life, regardless of what season it might be. Because God will often use those seasons of, 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 of difficulty, those seasons of maybe having the lowly positions to, to, to raise us up so that we're equipped and ready to be faithful with the greater things that he wants to entrust to us. I mean, when I first came to the Lord, I literally was cleaning toilets. That's what I did for almost a year. It's like, I'm not ashamed of it. I had joy doing it. Why? Because I knew I was doing what God called me to do in that season. We can't be ashamed of God's calling paul says in romans chapter one in romans chapter one verse 16 for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god to salvation for everyone who believes for the jew first and also for the greek why is paul saying he's not ashamed of the gospel there was likely people that were. They, they were embarrassed about it. They didn't really know how to guide a conversation. Why? Because it was foolishness to the Greeks. And, and the Jews looked for a sign. And it was hard for them to put these things together and put words together to communicate. But people can fall into that now. Being ashamed. They don't want to share. They, they don't want to talk about it. Why? Because the world beats you up if you believe the Bible. The world will make you feel like you're foolish if you believe the law. If you're not equipped, if you're not ready, if you can't have a logical argument, they will make you feel so bad. And we can get ashamed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. We, we can't be ashamed of the gospel. If we're ashamed of the gospel, we're certainly going to be ashamed of our calling. Because ultimately, regardless of what our specific calling is, our general calling is to share the gospel. That, that's for every single one of us. That's not just me. That's not just leaders. That's not just servants. That's every single Christian we're called to evangelize. We may not be evangelists in the spiritual gift sense, but we're called to evangelize, to do the work of an evangelist. Are you ashamed to share the gospel? Is it embarrassing to you? Are you ashamed of the position that God has you in right now? Are you ashamed of the spiritual gifts that he's given you and they're just not the ones that you like and you're embarrassed operating in them? I used to get so embarrassed speaking in front of people. Like so, so embarrassed. I would shake. I would sweat. I wouldn't even look. I would read off the paper. I wouldn't look anyone. I was so embarrassed of it. It was like, man, what is that? If this is what God's called you to, that's like a, a low blow to him. And I remember thinking about something. When you look at what the Lord did on the cross, he didn't just bear our sins, he bore our shame. He bore our shame. We have nothing to be embarrassed if we're doing what God's asking us to do. First Samuel chapter 10, verse 17. 
Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all the adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Like what a celebration, right? This is how Samuel starts this thing off. Hey, guys, we're going to give you your king, but you have rejected God. <laughs> and God has done all these things in your life. He, he saved you from bondage. He's delivered you countless times. We're giving you what you want. This is how we're starting the celebration. But there's so much truth here. God wants Samuel to remind the people that he's such a good and gracious king. He's the only one that can ultimately bail them out if they find themselves in a hard place again. But the people are in a hard place now and they're forgetting what God's already done in the past. And we can do that too. We get in these hard situations. They have some corrupt leaders, Samuel's sons. Uh, things aren't going the way that maybe they were uh, at a certain season. And, and we can forget the, the big picture that, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm focused right here, but God delivered me from Egypt. Like God's done all this and I'm worried about this. And that's what the people were doing. They were focused on their present circumstances, but they weren't looking at the big picture and how good of a king God had been to them all along, even their fathers before them. First Samuel chapter 10, verse 20. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen, and Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. We're going to see Saul's hiding. Why? He's afraid. Point number four, don't be afraid to answer your calling. Don't be afraid to answer your calling. Are you afraid to answer your calling? Now, typically, uh, the main reason why people are afraid of answering their, their calling is because they're afraid of failing. They're afraid of failing in that calling. But we have to remember... If we're doing what the Lord's asking us to do, we cannot fail. It doesn't matter if, if, if we don't have eloquent speech. It doesn't matter if, if, if we're like really solid in a certain gift or whatever the case may be. If we're doing what God's called us to do, we cannot fail. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul says this. He tells the church in Corinth, your labor is not in vain if it's in the Lord. Your, your labor isn't in vain. It's not worthless. It's worth something if it's in the Lord. If you're doing it from God, not only is it not in vain, but you're not failing. And I think many of us can relate to this fear of failure. Many of us... Now I have a son. Now I have another thing that I have to be afraid of failing at, right? It's like, no, 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 no. This is what God's called you to. He's equipped you. He's empowered you. He's given the word to direct you. If you're doing it the way God asks you to do it, you cannot fail. But this is the real issue. Being afraid of, of failure, 
having fear in general is directly connected to our relationship with God. It's directly connected to a trust thing with God, having fears of any kind. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that perfect love casts out fear. When we're abiding in the Lord's perfect love, meaning when we're seeking Him and we're walking with Him, we're pursuing relationship, and that relationship is expressed through obedience, there is nothing to be afraid of. I trust Him. I don't have to be afraid of anything. Certainly don't have to be afraid of answering my calling. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 22. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord, Further, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. Point number five, don't hide from your calling. Don't hide from your calling. Hiding from our calling is like one of the most foolish things we can do. Hiding from our calling is, is essentially uh, hiding from our specific purpose in life. Now, we know generally uh, each of us has a purpose to, to, to be in relationship with God and with man. But that specific purpose, by not answering it, by hiding from it, we're robbing ourselves from the joy and the happiness and the fulfillment that the Lord wants for us. Has anyone ever experienced, I know there are people in the room, like when you found it, like man, you know, and some of us, we're still learning, we're all learning stuff about ourselves, but like the, this is the big thing God's called me to. And this is, this is what it is. Uh, and when we experience that and we choose to walk in it, there's so much joy, there's so much peace, there's so much happiness. So why would we hide? How do we hide? Well, we hide by, by denying that, that that's what we're called to. I don't have that, I don't, no, I'm not doing that. You get challenged to do, no, I'm not going to do that. We, we avoid it. We try to get around it. We won't tell people about it just as we see Saul do. And then when people ask us again, we'll deny it. We won't choose to operate in it. Now, who in here is taking a spiritual gift test? I know a lot of, a lot of the church has. We have some over here. Uh, again, I have to preface this. Spiritual gift test are not inspired by God, okay? They're only as accurate as you are honest, okay? So uh, you don't, you know, yes, we can talk about it if you end up taking one and you have some questions. Uh, but what I'm getting at is I know there's many people in this church that have taken a spiritual gift test and even have received confirmation uh, somewhat like Saul where you know you have a spiritual gift or at least you're pretty certain that you have this spiritual gift and you're hiding from it. You're not operating in it. That's what Saul's doing. He's hiding from his calling. The thing that God gifted him, the thing that God uh, wanted to bless him with, his purpose, specific purpose, in the, he's hiding from it. Now, he's not the only one that's hiding from his calling. We saw Elijah hiding from his calling earlier, but we also see Jonah was trying to hide, trying to run from his calling, right? And what happened to him? All right, big fish, whale, we don't know for sure. But 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 nothing good happened to him. And that's the truth uh, with the Lord in our life. When we tried to hide from the calling, when we try to run from the calling, he's going to find us. He knows where we are. God's the one that told the people where Saul is. This is where he's hiding. Go grab him. We can't hide from God. And when we try to hide from our calling so often, he puts something in our life. 
like a big fish or an obstacle or a trial to expose us, to, to redirect us, to get us back to the... No, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Not this. I want you to do this. Now, the Lord isn't always forceful. Sometimes uh, He is. Sometimes He isn't. But nevertheless, when we're hiding in this text, He's going to expose us. He exposes the good and He exposes the bad. Uh, he exposes the bad. Yeah, he'll expose sin in our lives so that we can repent of it, but also expose the good. He'll expose the gifts. He'll expose the calling. He'll let someone else see it, and then that someone might start to push you in it. Don't hide from it. If you're hiding from something that God's called you to, and maybe it's even, uh, even connected to serving in some capacity at the church, come out. Quit hiding. The Lord knows where you are. He wants you to come out from hiding so that you can experience that purpose. Almost there. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 23. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the other, sorry, than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen that there is no one like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. So <clears throat> this is the big moment, the big celebration. Saul comes out from hiding. They literally like had to, they had to run and get him. It doesn't say they dragged him. <clears throat> But that's kind of uh, the thought here. They had to like bring him to, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. I'm going to bring you before Samuel. I'm going to bring you before God. Don't make someone drag you to answer your calling. Don't make them run and get you. The Lord, he, he wants us to respond with, with a willingness, with a, with a gratefulness. And he says, look at him. Do you see him? There's no one like him. Right? What's he talking about? His physical appearance, right? He's the most handsome. Uh, he's over a head taller than everyone in the kingdom. Like, this is what you think a king is supposed to look like, in other words. And he's exactly the type of king that they were desiring. At least most of them. First Samuel chapter 10, verse 25. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book. And laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. So... Him explaining the behavior of royalty, uh, he's likely, likely, we don't know for sure, getting this from Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, where God talks about this future king that's going to uh, that's gonna rule over the people. But a big part of that is that uh, God is, you know, in other words, ultimately the king, and, and this man-king is basically serving God as being a steward over the people. And it says he wrote it in a book. Um, now, we don't have this book, so we're not exactly sure what it says. Uh, apparently, God didn't see fit that, that it was in the canon. Um, we're, I don't know anything about this one. I couldn't find anything on it. First Samuel chapter 10, verse 26. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. See, God touched some hearts to inspire some men to, to follow this other man in King Saul. And God will do that. He'll often stir the hearts of people to follow a specific leader. Why? Because leaders can't do it on their own. Leaders are only as good as the people they have around them, the people that are supporting them. They weren't meant to do it alone. 
That's why God has the body of Christ. Not everyone's the head, the hands, the feet, the nose, the eyes, you name it. There's pieces of the puzzle and you might have a head, but you need the rest of the body to come together to support that specific person. But as we see, there's men, valiant men that God stirred to support Saul. There's also the opposite. There's going to be people that don't support the leader. Look at verse 27. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents. They gave him no presents. Uh, but, but he held his peace. There will always be those that disagree with leadership. There will always be those that, that rebel against leadership. But rebellion goes deeper than simply disagreeing. Rebellion says, not only do I disagree, but I refuse to support. See, that's the opposite of submission. Submission is supporting even when you don't agree. Because God, he doesn't, he doesn't say agree with all authority that are placed in your life. No, no, submit to the authority. It's easy to obey when we agree, but when we disagree, that's when submission comes in. Am I going to choose to be obedient even when I don't agree? These men don't choose to submit. In fact, they're called rebels. And they don't support the king that God placed in their life. But it says he held his peace. Despite the slander, Saul didn't lash out at them. Okay? Uh, he didn't lash out. He didn't speak out. He didn't yell at them. Uh, in the Hebrew, uh, it's basically like this. It, it was though that he had gone deaf to them. Uh, meaning he heard them, but he closed an ear. He acted like he didn't hear them uh, at all. That's commendable by Saul. We see some characteristics that are commendable by him. But ultimately, God set Saul up for success to answer the calling that he placed on his life. Just look at some of these things. He was obviously chosen by God. He was empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit of God came upon him. He confirmed over and over and over and over again. God confirmed that he was supposed to be king, so there should be confidence. He had an awesome spiritual leader in Samuel. None of his words fell to the ground, and he was surrounded by valiant men. But despite all these advantages, we're going to see he doesn't live up to his calling. God was trying to set him up for success. But because of some decisions that he made, particularly not to be in relationship with God, he was bound to fail. Now, God has called us each to specific things. And he always sets us up for success. And that's his responsibility. To let us know the calling. And give us the tools that we need to answer the calling. But we have a responsibility too. We have a responsibility to do just that, to answer the calling. Are you answering the calling that God placed on your life? Or are you rejecting it? Are you hiding from it? Are you ashamed of it, embarrassed of it? Or are you embracing it? Remember what Jesus said. Many are called, but few are chosen. Choose to answer your calling. Don't Run from it. Walk in it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace in our lives. And we know you don't call us because we, we offer uh, something great to you. Lord, we, we know it's all about um, you and what, what you can do through us if we let you. God, I pray um, 
that even as we go home tonight, you would stir hearts. If there's something specific that you've called us to that, that we're not uh, operating in, uh, I pray that you would uh, bring that nudge, give us that boost, whatever it is, that touch, uh, so that we would have the uh, confidence to, to walk in it, Lord. And, and as we choose to, to answer the calling as uh, a calling that you've placed on each of our lives as individuals, um, our body as a whole would look more like you. God, but we know it comes down to a lot of individual decisions. Lord, so I pray those decisions would be made for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.